Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the People, Pain, and Practice podcast, the podcast for RMTs in BC. Today, you're all going to be listening in on a great conversation I had with Mike Riach, who graduated from the West Coast College of Massage Therapy in 2007, where he also taught for a couple of years. He's chaired a research panel at the 2012 Third International Fascial Research Congress in Vancouver, the RMTBC International Persistent Pain Conference in 2014, and the Manual Therapy Conference in 2016. Mike has an incredible body of knowledge and experience behind him. Um, we're going to be talking about a neurocentric approach to massage therapy, early burnout in the profession, and a host of other things. Thank you very much for taking the time to have our conversation today. Yeah, I appreciate you coming out here and um, taking your time as well. One of the big topics I want to chat on later today is a neurocentric approach to massage therapy mm-hmm. and getting into what that means, how to implement it into practice. But before we dive too much into the details of that, I'd like to hear a bit more about your background because I believe it's been about 12 years since you graduated from massage therapy. Something like that. I finished in 07. 07. Yeah. 07. A little while ago then, hey? Feels like not too long ago. (laughs) Could you describe the road that led you down this path? Yeah, it was a bit of a meandering road. Um, After high school, I traveled for a bit. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I've always been like into sports and athletics. And uh, I like biology a lot, so I started taking courses in the sciences and biology. And I was thinking maybe chiropractic, physio, massage. Mm. I think when I was first looking at massage, um, the school, the WCCMT, was going through like bankruptcy or they're about to. So I was advised not to join the school at that time. <laughs> and that became kind of a, an afterthought. Um, and I worked, I'd worked for a while, I was in construction. I'd do some schooling and work in school. And, after a while, I was looking, I was in the Human Kinetics program, mm. and that was a good program, but I didn't really see where I was going to go with it. I saw I'd get a four-year degree, and then I'd have to do more schooling. Mm. And I was tired of being, like, you know, cash poor and, uh, you know, in cheap apartments and stuff. So I said, I need to get a career pretty quick. And if I was to go, I didn't really want to do chiropractics anymore. I kind of lost it lost its glimmer at that point to mm-hmm. me. Um, and I looked at physio and physio, I think it was, you had to have at least 93% average to get in. So I, I would have to take a bunch of courses again from getting like B's and have to go from B's to A pluses and stuff. So massage therapy was kind of a, a quick way or the quickest route to doing a, what I wanted to do. And uh, so I took the intro course mm-hmm. and I loved it, like absolutely loved it. I, and uh, approached school as um, kind of a job. So I said, okay, I'm here as a job. Mm. Failure is not an option. You're going to pass every course and and, uh, do well. And I felt like it wasn't school to me. It felt like Mm. I was, you know, just enjoying. It was working hard, but I enjoyed doing what I was doing. And did you have any previous experiences with massage therapy that thought that made you think hey this this is a good thing for me to get into or was it just a you know physio and chiro are out this massage therapy thing Um, sounds kind of cool i've i've always liked like getting massages Mm -hmm. um going to an rmt as a young adult was kind of out of out of my pocketbook without insurance or anything 
but as a kid, I'd had a few, um, like being in sports, I did physio for rehab and massage for rehab, and I really found it beneficial. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, that was my kind of way. I didn't really matter to me. It's all just a license to, to help people get better, however you, you apply that. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't see just going to massage school as my limit to my learning. There's a lot of learning outside of that. So I, you know, even when I was going to human kinetics, doing those programs, I was doing lots of out, outside of the classroom learning. I did my BCRPA and I'd read like websites thinking they're new, know everything. Now I know better, but you know, I was like reading T Nation and I was a big T Nation junkie at that point when yeah. they were starting up, if you don't know that blog. Uh -huh. um, so yeah, so that kind of got me into it. That got you into it. And you mentioned that it felt, it felt almost like it was the right path. It didn't feel like a lot of work, even though it was difficult going through the massage therapy program. Was it just because of your interest in the subject matter, or what about the process of learning through massage therapy that, or what about that drew you in? Well, I was twenty-five when I started, so I was a bit more like of a mature student. And I knew that you had to make, make it enjoyable to yourself. Um, I enjoyed it anyways, but um, the stuff that was hard, I just, you know, I saw, I saw a means to an end. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you're in like college, university, you're taking calculus so that you can take physics so that you can apply that to force angles on a joint. It's like right. all these hoops, yeah. where in massage, there weren't as many hoops. So you could see mm -hmm. directly how things applied. And I've always been good at seeing how different abstract concepts actually, how they connect mm -hmm. and finding connections between things. I'm, I've always been like, a, my strong suit was like the, the 30,000 foot kind of view of things and those right. connections. Yeah. Um, I was also lucky in massage therapy school, I met my wife there mm -hmm. and she's very good at the minuta and memorizing a page and knowing all the like names of everything. And so we studied really well together. So we're friends and just study friends for a while yeah. before we became a couple. Sounds, Sounds like the perfect. Yeah, it was yeah. good. It was good. <laughs> and she really pushed me too. I was always happy to kind of just get, you know, I'd aim for 85% and I'd have a 10% window either way. Mm -hmm. Whereas she's like, no, nope, we're just going to go for 95 every time. <laughs> you know, go for 100 every yeah, time. Really pushing you yeah, there. so yeah. that was good. Did you, find the, did you find that that education process prepared you for stepping into practice? No. Well, it's like someone has. Um, describing another profession to me and they're saying how when you go to school and you come out of school and you're a, an actual professional mm -hmm. um, you can say it's like building a house and going to school is you get a plot of land and you clear the trees off the land and you graduate <laughs> so once you start massage therapy school you got to start building your foundation mm -hmm. and you got to start putting in the walls and then putting in the doors and the windows and putting on a roof and then putting on your siding and putting on your you know your finishing stuff so mm -hmm. That doesn't happen for at least five years. I think my first five years of massage therapy school, I was really trying to figure out what was going on. Mm -hmm. um, I remember that I wouldn't always be busy and I thought, well, I'm at work. I'm here from eight till 2.30 or 2.30 to 8.30 or whatever the, it was, nine to five. If I don't have anyone for two hours, I'm gonna go and look up research or I'm gonna go and try to read and try to become a better massage therapist. So I would either take a course online or I would um, 
Retaination. Yeah. Hours. No. I, but well, in that search, just trying to find research, like just finding research papers, and then sharing those ideas with people on social media, and then I stumbled on this site called um, Soma Simple, and uh, that was a whole bunch of. I mean, that really helped grow my my knowledge base, mm -hmm. and really helped kind of sculpt my thinking, because mm -hmm. a lot of people who are smarter than me on that, and they wouldn't like. They, your ideas are not sacred there, so they'd be, they'd be kind enough. But if you said something wrong, they would say, "No, you need to back that up." Right. So, and the huge amount of research in there too, like research papers posted in there. If you're a member and you've been posting, you can go into the background and find a whole bunch of, of uh, full, full, full papers, not just an abstract. Mm -hmm. And then you can discuss those with people. And, and, and so. did you feel that that was your first foothold on? getting a foundation built or sure, where sure. did you see what about that made you feel like okay maybe I'm onto something that I can I can build upon now um I think that's a good question I what I found with that is that I was struggling with some treatments so I had, I came out of school and I was like I'm gonna I don't care how much it hurts you I'm gonna push into your <laughs> tissue and I'm gonna break up your adhesions and I'm gonna release the fascia and I'm going to, you know, decrease hypertonicity and all these things that we're taught. And I found there's a whole bunch of people that that didn't help. So you have people who are very cute that come in after an MBA or something and you can't, you just can't do that stuff. Like they either flare up really bad or they're just like, don't, don't do that. And I didn't know what to do then. So I would, you would look at what other people had done and you kind of and ask questions and I kind of discovered there's other ways to treat and how learning just the the mechanisms and the physiology better around pain specifically um, you can apply that knowledge to what you already know and um, become a better clinician and then you can learn ways that other people have applied that knowledge to what how they treat and say oh that's actually a better way to doing that too Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I, I started yeah. and I just fumbled through that and it's called a practice, right? Because we keep, <laughs> we keep evolving and we keep getting things wrong yeah. and, you know, being honest with our mistakes, but then, then growing from that. Mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, some acute cases, motor vehicle accidents, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Yeah. You dig into them and they just flare up. Yeah. Did you have any specific experiences with patients or maybe it was talking with other therapists that you, that really flicked a switch and you thought, I got to, I got to investigate what's going on here because this digging into people all the time isn't, isn't quite working. Yeah. Well, I was very structural. Like I was, you know, looking at posture, posture charts. So look at your shoulders a bit high and how like, I like pelvises and I was always rotating <laughs> pelvises with people. And I found with some people, like you didn't have to actually adjust them. It just went back naturally. If you got the body to feel a bit better. Um, and I found the people who are really acute, if you backed off and did less, sometimes they, they responded better mm. than if you really try to fix them and fix them. And I mean, trying to fix someone is, is a hard road to go down. Mm -hmm. And it can really kick you in the teeth sometimes. Yeah. So I've totally adjusted from that. Yeah. Do you, did you have anyone that served as a mentor or that inspired you to to take your role as a therapist more seriously? You mean an RMT or just yeah, anyone? Or, or, or any, anyone. anyone. Um, to, 
Well, I mean, lots of people, lots of people. I mean, from my dad, my mom, I learned like, you know, take it as, you know, be serious about this. And um, my dad was an architect and he approached his board exams like a job and he studied for his board exams as the exam. So he would do a 40 hour week of studying and like it was a job. And, and I did the same thing. So the exams were, what were they, like 8 till 4 or 8 till 5. Mm-hmm. So I got up, started studying, took an hour lunch break when the exams took the lunch break. Mm-hmm. And then I studied till the exam was over. And I did that five days a week for, for about six weeks before the exam. Right. Then I took a, like, oral, then I took a week off and then, and then studied. And that seemed to work for me. Mm-hmm. So that, that was kind of, you need to be a professional. Right. And then learn to be a better um, massage therapist and to how to interact with your patients and to be a better therapist. I think Diane Jacobs has been a huge mentor for me. Um, Barrett Dorco too, and I've used their material in these classes I teach. Um, and then like as massage therapists, um, I think like Bodie Haraldson was a huge influence. He helped me, he kind of headhunted me for the board when I joined the RMTBC board. Mm-hmm. And he really helped kind of mold me um, in looking at research and stuff. Susan Chappelle, she helped me. Um, you know, she kind of inspired me when with some of the things she's done and said. And hanging out with her, she's a pretty, pretty driven person. Um, there's lots of people. I mean, right. I'm I'm missing lots of people. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, just just to start, yeah. those would be people. Did you? So it was a combination of that taking the schooling seriously and treating it as a job and something that you needed to excel at as well as being the be- best therapist you could be in and improve constantly improving on that and yeah. building work ethic through yeah, sure. through those two things yeah. yeah in the in a similar vein is there anything that you that you feel drives your responsibility as a therapist so say someone comes out of school and they have the mindset of Everyone that comes in, I have to figure out exactly what's going on with them. I have to fix them. I have to tell them exactly what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And that can be a lot, especially for a new therapist, uh, trying to start out with just cl- that clearing, no foundation to build upon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they have this huge weight that they can't support. Is there anything that you, are there any specifics that you feel you're responsible for in your interaction with the patient when they've come in? Yeah, yeah, there's some big stuff there. Like when you're, so when I was in construction, when you're building a house, the better your foundation, the easier it is later on. So if, you're, if your foundation is straight and it's solid, your walls won't be crooked, then your roof won't be crooked, and your windows will fit easier and all that stuff. So when you're building yourself, you're out of school, you're starting to build that foundation, really work on that, that initial learn the physiology, learn mechanisms and things like that and learn, le- learn the research, learn to at least read research a bit mm-hmm. and how to interpret it. I don't expect everyone to become researchers, but that's important stuff. Right. Um, when we're talking about, and that's the process, like you gotta know the process of treatment. Mm-hmm. So if you learn that stuff, and I don't know if like everyone will remember this, but when, the, when we had AV teach, uh, coaching the Canucks, mm-hmm. do you remember that? And we went on the Stanley Cup run, and he always said, trust the process, trust the process to his yeah. players. And that really worked for getting them to at least the Stanley Cup Finals. And there's a uh, doctor of physical therapy out of, uh, 
I think he's in Washington, D.C. now. He works with, he's a, in the U.S. Army. Mm-hmm. And he um, always says that, you know, trust the process. If you trust the process and if you follow the process properly, mm-hmm. more people will react positively to the treatments than if you try to fix everyone. Mm-hmm. So just don't try to fix people anymore. Just say, okay, I'm going to treat this many people in a year. I'm going to treat this many people in a month and this many people in a week and this many people in a day. If I follow the process of treating people and, and helping them get better, mm-hmm. then more people will get better than if I try really hard. Mm-hmm. And I take that on personally because you'll burn out. Yeah. If you try to take on other people's stuff, you're going to burn out really after Yeah, and that seems to be a... a a commonality, the burnout yeah. uh, happening between five, seven years for a lot of RMTs. Yeah. Is there, and, and some people, it's the physical demand on their body, mm-hmm. depending on how much they work, uh, yeah. a lot of different factors. Yeah. Since you've been in the profession for quite a while, is there anything that you've done to combat that burnout, or was that anything that even crossed your mind? For sure, there's lots you can do. Um, you gotta keep yourself healthy, you gotta know what your limits are, and don't go past those limits. So. Mm-hmm. To me, if I do hands-on so many days in a row or hands-on so many hours in a week, I know I'm going to need to do stuff to help myself. Mm-hmm. So that could be exercise, that could be getting my own hands-on manual therapy treatments from other people or a combination of that. Um, but I find I, I have to, I mean exercise is part of my life, I always have been doing something physical and I also... I find that I don't take massage therapy, it's kind of funny, but I don't take it as seriously hmm. outside of the clinic. Okay. So when I'm in the clinic, when I'm in, I'm wearing my massage therapist hat, I'm given it 100%, but I make sure that there's always time every day and every week where I'm out hiking in the woods or I'm doing, I'm playing with my kids or I'm, mm-hmm. I volunteer, like I do all this other stuff outside of it. So I'm not, I'm no longer just a massage therapist and that's not my identity like I used to be it used to be very important to me to have an identity as just a massage therapist and now I know there's more life than just that identity if I tomorrow if I woke up and I couldn't be a massage therapist anymore for some reason mm-hmm. I'd be okay mm. I mean I would lose that and and I'd be sad about that but I'd survive whereas I think five years ago it would be like a big crisis for me so right. find those things those other passions Keep your passion with massage therapy, but find those other passions. Mm-hmm. And that could be music, it could be sports, it could be art, it could be family, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Right, that's really, I think that's some really great advice because having too much weight on that identity of a massage therapist, yeah. and if you take on all of your patients' problems all the time or whatever they're, they're bringing to you, uh, and you don't have those other passions you're pursuing, it could, it could mm-hmm. run you down pretty, yeah. pretty easily. Yeah. I mean, without, when I was in construction, that was a lot harder. Like, oh, my heart, <laughs> easiest day in a, on a construction site is harder than my hardest <laughs> day is massage therapy. So physically, right. physically it was never a huge issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but mentally it was. Like, I, I remember in school, I'd do a lot of MS outreaches. Like, I'd treat a lot. I always liked those outreaches, but I was exhausted after treating people with MS and seeing how, you know, you see them over the months and how some people were spiraling down and they were depressed and stuff like that. And I would take that on. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I'm more there for them than I was. I'm more there for the, for them now than I was then, mm-hmm. but I don't take it home. Okay. Right. Yeah. That's really powerful. Yeah. yeah. Because 
Yeah, instead of, like you said, stepping back and trusting the process allows you to be more available for them, it yeah. sounds like. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Yeah. And that's part of the process, just being, having those empathetic skills and being present. Like, I don't try to take notes right in front of the person. Mm -hmm. I'm better at remembering things because I've got the process in my head, so I just follow it in my head. Mm -hmm. I do my, my history taking and, and my, my assessments mm -hmm. um, there without taking notes. I'll go out, take a few notes and then come back and treat them. Yeah. So I'm looking at them in the eye and I'm, I'm listening to them and I'm, and I'm reflecting what they're saying to me and using all of the skills. Mm -hmm. so, so getting into a bit more of the treatment specific yeah. stuff, uh, let's talk about a, a neurocentric approach to manual therapy. Mm -hmm. um, I believe you mentioned you came from a very structural model, really mm -hmm. digging into people mm -hmm. the first few years and trying to fix where their hips were sitting and their shoulders were sitting. Yeah. Uh, when did you, I'm sure it was, a, is it, it was a period of time, but when did you start transitioning to this different methodology and mm. what would you say the, what would you say draws you to this approach as opposed to staying back with the structural digging into people sort of? That was probably with Soma Simple, mm. reading a lot of that. Yeah, and then, okay. then being really curious and I had, I, being on the MTA board, they would, people would ask, well, we want to bring people in to, to teach courses because the mm -hmm. RMTBC at the time were doing that. And I said, oh, I know these great you know, people out in other parts of the world. We bring some of them in. So we brought in Diane Jacobs and Barry Dorco. And um, I think we were, we we're going to bring in Corey Blickenstaff, but he haven't. Mm -hmm. um, but Eric Purvis has done a lot of that. He's kind of doing that stuff now. He's bringing in these great clinicians from uh, mostly the US. Um, to teach these courses too. Mm -hmm. So that was a good way to, to start doing that. It took me about two years of like really fighting this like two thought processes, right? Mm -hmm. Being structural and then being, okay, it's not all about structure and, and going back and forth and, and really like you're like, just everything I do, it doesn't work now and all this stuff. And <laughs> was it all a lie? Yeah. And, and in the end, it all the same stuff. Hmm. It worked before it will work after that thought process. But mm -hmm. I find I am more efficient and I can predict way better. And um, patients appreciate that. And they don't hurt as much when I treat them. And mm -hmm. I can treat my physically, I can, I can treat longer too. Right. So okay. all those things are good. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. So it, did you find that in the end it was less about dropping one or the other and find more about finding a blend between the two? Because I'm sure you had amazing outcomes with some people with that more structural based approach. So like you said, it's not all, all a lie. It's not all wrong. Uh, it was maybe a thought process change. So do you feel like it was, it, it took time to find the blend and that was the yeah, it took a while. Like, I like to say everything's a remix. Hmm. There's nothing new. Yeah. There's no technique that's new. You'll never invent a new technique. Mm -hmm. You'll just be taking an old technique and rebranding it. Yeah. So I think that people need to realize that. You can only push and pull and twist tissue so many times and at different speeds and at different rates and different pressures, but mm -hmm. you're just doing the same thing. It's the same thing. Yeah. And, uh, just applying what you already know. Like RMTs and BC have a really good manual therapy foundation. I'd say they'd stand up against any other person in the world who does manual therapy. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're, we have probably the best knowledge base. Our hands are probably 
as a group, we're probably up there with anyone. I'd put us against anyone mm -hmm. as uh, being able to to manually um, treat people. To treat people, yeah. Yeah. So just take what you got, and then learn learn from that foundation. Like build that foundation a bit mm -hmm. better, and you'll just you know I can say to someone you know you've got a seventy to eighty percent chance that you are going to feel probably. 90% better in three days from now because I know how the physiology works. Right, yeah. Uh, we'll get you to come back in in five to nine days. We'll clean up anything that we missed or we'll just adjust stuff. Do these movements that I've shown you and you'll need one treatment or three treatments maybe. But I'll say maybe if they're a smoker or they've got like type 2 diabetes or they've got other comorbidities, different ages, I might say, okay, you'll need eight treatments. But if you're an 18-year-old physically active person who eats well and doesn't smoke and all this stuff, you might need one treatment. Yeah. You know, and I won't see you for another eight years. Uh -huh. Whereas if you're you're um, a 120-pound nurse who has to lift heavy patients every day, and you hate your boss and you got all these other psychosocial stuff going on, yeah. maybe you need to come in like more often and and uh, you know I'll be there and I'll help you through this rough part of your life. Mm -hmm. And I'll help give give you more skills so that we can wean you off massage therapy over a while. But right now, for this little amount of time, you'll benefit more from massage therapy than this other person would. Right. With, the, with the same conditions, like the same complaints. Mm -hmm. And that's because of that foundation you built of physiology and the mechanisms. And yeah. you're able to build that knowledge. You're able to come to those conclusions because of the foundation. Is that right? Yeah. 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 So when we're talking about uh, a neurocentric approach and dealing with people with pain. Mm -hmm. um, I believe one of the concepts you talk about in your course is pain causes versus pain origins. Mm. Could you give us some detail on what the difference is and how you apply them when someone comes yeah. into the Well, that, that comes from, like, from my knowledge. I mean, I know Barrett Dorco didn't make this up either, mm. but it comes from Barrett Dorco and how he teaches his course. And when you say something caused my pain, that could be an infinite amount of things that caused your, and, it's, and if we're just talking about pain, like your pain experience is caused by who knows what, right? right. Today it was you hit your, your shin on the coffee table. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow it's something else. Whereas when we look at origins, we're looking at the underlying mechanisms there. So you're looking at um, nerve tissue and if it's mechanically deformed. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at position. So if you have any posture or position that's uncomfortable over time, that's going to be, that's it, like that's painful, right? So mm -hmm. if you always sit in a certain position, that will make a nerve feel uncomfortable where, if you don't add other positions or a movement. So there might be a movement, you do it once, it's okay. You do it a thousand times in a day, that's going to irritate that nerve tissue mm -hmm. too. That would be one of the, the origins. And then you look at like chemical irritation. So pretty common. And it often comes on with mechanical deformation of nerves. So an origin or a chemical irritation would be like a bee sting mm. or it would be inflammation. So inflammation is probably the most common. And then you've got all these other ways that chemically we can irritate tissue, sunburn, things like that. We can't treat chemical irritation mm. manually. I mean, you can treat it with probably medication is the best way to go with those. Yeah. But if we know what the origin is, we can better treat someone. So if someone comes in and they've got a red inflamed joint, um, we try to give them some manual therapy and it's gout. 
<laughs> right? We can't, yeah. we can't treat gout. So yeah. we can say to the person, um, you need to go to your doctor and, and get that treated because mm -hmm. we can't treat that. Um, we can look at um, abnormal impulse generating sites. So that's something on the nerve itself. So the nerve is being irritated and we can have issues with that. So the nerve will depolarize really easily. Um, so that's kind of like um, shooting, like burning pain or that like just strong shooting. If you ever had pain where you take a step and it kind of almost drops you mm. and it, you can't repeat it, it happens sometimes or not. So that's like something going on with the nerve itself. Okay. So it might be really bad, like um, say you've lost myelin on the nerve or it's being damaged by being, being stretched or something. Mm. Or it could be inflammation and, and stuff going on with the nerve too, which is um, something we could treat with movement, either mm. passive or active or, or some, hopefully. Um, so those would be what are those three, and then there's a fourth, which would be central, central sensitization. So something in the spinal cord or the brain, where the the nervous system is taking the information from the periphery and it's changing it, or it's be paying too much attention to some stuff, or it's saying this information which should be benign, I'm now always worried about. So we need to look at that stuff too. Okay. And it could be a combination of all four or something. <laughs> Which is the most fun, of yeah. course. How do you, how do you approach the ma actual hands-on manual therapy work with this perspective as opposed to, does it involve the same, uh, I mean, you can only push and pull the skin yeah. so many different ways. Uh, how do you modify your hands-on therapy to better address a concern from this perspective as opposed to a rotated hip that is yeah. causing... Well, if I, I would say, instead of the hips rotate, I'd say, why is, why is a person in this position, what tissue are they trying to protect? Mm. So I'll look at mechanical deformation of a nerve, and I'll say, what nerves are in this area that could be mechanically deformed? And I'll explore that. And if I'll say, okay, let's try to make these nerves here feel less, less irritated with either movement, exercise, or manual therapy, then they might, that nerve hopefully will feel better in the next few days. Hopefully in that treatment, they'll feel a bit better. And then we'll look at that position and that hip might be back to normal then. So you don't even have to do an adjustment. Right. Um, so that's how I usually look at it. Um, and if we know that they're in that hour treatment or half hour treatment or whatever it is, if they feel better, mm. we did not change tissue. That's just not how physiology works, uh -huh. right? If you cut your finger and the finger doesn't hurt after an hour, the finger's still cut. There's no change in the damage. There's maybe more inflammation or, or there's start, you know, the, the, the wound is clotting, but that's it. So it has to be nervous system in that first hour. I just can't think of any other way that people feel less pain in an hour treatment. We didn't release fascia. We didn't, we didn't move bone positions or anything. If it did, if fascia feels different, or the tissue feels different, or the bone changes because the nervous system said it's okay to be, to feel better, or to not protect there now. And looking at it as a, a nervous system change, mm -hmm. that, that could lead you to not digging into people quite as much because yeah. the theory of digging into people is that you would make that more, you would make that physiological change to the fascia or the muscle tissue and that sort of thing. In a negative way. It, right. Yeah. So how do you, 
how do you explain, I guess this is going back to more how, how you deal with the actual patient, but a lot of people come in with the idea of a painful massage and that's good for them and sometimes that, that is helpful for them. Do you find that you will tailor the treatment to that individual so that they can get what they're hoping for out of the treatment? Or do you try to, if you, if you really see, say, you know, there's some nerve deform, mechanical nerve deformation in the hip that's causing the postural and you know very light touch will help deal with this uh do you try to bring them over to that side or does that does that make sense totally yeah so i don't do anything the patient doesn't want right mm-hmm. like we have we have patient buy-in it's patient-centric care i think that works best for us so if i say okay and they're like oh i've i've gone to someone before and they've been digging into my back for three months and I'm like, oh, how's that going? Because you're still seeking treatment. Um, Whereas, and I'll say, well, this is what I think is happening. This is how I would approach it. How does that sound to you? Well, I really like some deep, you know, deep tissue or whatever they want to call it. I mean, to me, the spinal cord is the deepest tissue. So (laughs) if we're affecting the spinal cord, that's deep tissue to me. But I mean, that's a bit pedantic. Um, So I'll say, totally, let's do that. But first, I want to do it so it's not painful, and I don't want you to feel worse the next day. Mm. And I want you to get better as fast as possible. And this is how I would approach it with you. Um, does that work for you? Does that sound good? Does that sound like a plan? And we'll create a whole plan yeah. so before our treatment, right? And, and that's what we should be doing with the CMT bylaws now. Like, that's what they've said, and I think that's awesome that we're being pushed more to do that. Mm-hmm. So create that plan with the patient before you start. and Have that buy-in. And then they'll know exactly why you're doing stuff. And they're not like, oh, why are you, you're not doing anything. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Well, this is what I'm doing. I'm getting, you know, the nervous system to calm down here. Mm-hmm. And then once it's calmed down, then we can do like some elbows, ulnar border, whatever. And it won't hurt. It uh-huh. just feels like nice, heavy pressure. Right. Instead of then within five minutes, you're putting your, your ulnar border into their erectors and mm-hmm. They're twitching and moving around and struggling and sweating and they leave feeling kind of floaty headed and exhausted. And sometimes there's other adverse reactions. So that's not as helpful. Like if we've got a pretty healthy nervous system, you can get that, that heavy pressured treatment that's a bit painful mm-hmm. and you'll feel better because you're, you're releasing all these opiates and other chemicals in your, in your like brainstem mm-hmm. and it's dampening the signal getting to the brain. So. They've done really cool studies. Um, uh, I can't remember the guy's name. He's a Danish researcher, but he we used to do like trigger point research. Mm-hmm. So someone would have a tender spot on their forearm, like right in their extensors, mm-hmm. and they would measure that. So they'd put a pressure plate over that, and they'd push as hard as they can until he the person says that hurts, mm-hmm. and then they say, okay, that's twenty eight newtons of pressure. Then they did a really painful treatment to their tibialis anterior. Mm-hmm. And then they press, pressed again. And the person could take way more pressure. So we know that if someone has a painful issue, but a pretty healthy nervous system, you can treat somewhere else and that area will feel better after. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how like things like Tiger Balm and all those, those things work. So it's like a um, Diffuse noxious inhibition control, it's called. Or I think there's another term someone's telling me, that isn't, but that's a term that's in my head. So mm-hmm. that's what I use. Um, yeah. So it's the brain is actually modulating the signals and changing how important those signals are. 
and using the really, really powerful chemicals, uh, the cannabinoids and opioids and, and all those things to, to change that and change our perception. Mm -hmm. But after a few hours or a day, we reabsorb all those chemicals in our brain and the pain's back. Mm -hmm. So it's a short-term thing. And that's why I see people foam roll and they foam roll a bit and they have to foam roll harder and they have to get more knobby foam rollers and, uh -huh. and it's really addictive because it's basically like a runner's high or, or something like that. So similar process, right? When you run, it's uncomfortable for the first five, ten minutes, and then it feels okay, or whatever your exercise is. Mm -hmm. So same process. Yeah. So it works well with athletes because they've got a very healthy, um, diffuse noxious inhibition control system most of the time, unless they've overtrained and that system starts to not work, and then they get that chronic pain stuff going on. So mm -hmm. lots of stuff going on in nervous systems, and if you understand what those things are, at least a little bit better, you'll be better to, to treat your patients and you'll know the process better. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that needs to be incorporated in the foundational knowledge through school for RMTs? Or do you feel like it's not the essential foundation knowledge and you need pr the, the, say, the schooling before we start tacking this on? It wouldn't hurt. Mm. But I think, first of all, we want to make sure people come out and they don't hurt people. Mm. You know, they don't make it worse. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things they have to learn and there's a lot of tradition with our, our school. So you got to follow the tradition and, uh, because that's how it is <laughs> and we're not going to change that. Yeah. We've got these big monoliths like the board exam. We want to make sure people pass that board exam mm -hmm. and it's really hard to change those questions. And even if we change it in BC, we still have to match to the rest of Canada. So how do we, how do we have it so that we are, like we want a national program eventually, right? Mm -hmm. But we're going to have to water down ours and bring up others. And it's going to be a struggle with both provinces. So once we have a national accredited program, then we can start to bring that up. But I don't see that happening in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. But um, there's lots of issues and lots of um, big struggles ahead for, for us with that. Yeah. But worth it. But worth it. Yeah. So if we can get, get students to learn to the board exam, in a way that it's not as wrong as before, <laughs> then that's good. Right, it's a right? step in the right it's direction. It's a step in the right direction. I think people coming out now are smarter than when I came out. Mm. Um, and it's most of the schools anyways. Yeah. yeah, A lot of great clinicians coming out now and I'm like, wow, like they're, they're gonna be awesome RMTs. <laughs> or they already are, but they're gonna be even better soon, so. Right. Yeah. So one last thing to wrap up then on this, uh, on this note. In the next five years or maybe just over your career, what do you see as being the biggest change that has happened, if it's already happened, or do you see a big change that maybe you're pushing for that you feel needs to be addressed uh, to get us that one step further? Hmm, great question. Well, now when I teach courses, I don't have to spend as much time convincing people that pain isn't in the tissue. So five years ago, it was like, you know, people would really struggle with that concept that my pain is in my elbow because my elbow feels the pain. Whereas now we look at, okay, the nervous system is mostly involved with that and it's, it's higher, higher processing stuff going on there mm -hmm. as well. And that's probably more important than the actual elbow or whatever body part. Yeah. Um, so that has changed and uh, that makes me happy. Um, what will change in the future? 
I think we're just going to get more and more into not being so into the technique itself. So there'll be people like, oh, I know this really great technique where you put your arm behind your back and you do this stroke and you come around this way and that way. And, and that doesn't matter. Like that's not as important as being those non-specific effects and how you interact with the patient and being patient-centered. Biopsychosocial is a big buzzword right now. I don't know if everyone understands the word, but at least people are understanding that there is more than just the biology. And I think that's going to be the big change. And I think having that change reflected in our bylaws and our, maybe our scope would be nice. I know people, the board, um, the, the CMTBC struggles with our scope and our wording of our score, scope. And I think they would like our scope to be a bit more inclusive with, um, I'm not going to put words in their mouth, but I get that feeling that a bit more inclusive with that um, psychosocial component without being psychologists, but just... Mm -hmm just acknowledging that that's there. Um, I think that's a good start. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't expect us to do any, any psychology stuff. Um, just acknowledging that culture affects us mm -hmm. and, and our thoughts and beliefs affects us, especially around pain. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, well, that's a, wonderful a wonderful way, way to wrap, wrap it up. up. Yeah. Thank, Thank you for those amazing words. words. Is, Is there, there any uh, last, last words or comments, comments that you'd like to mention? Or, or if you, if you, if you have, have a website that people can find, find out more about you, your, your courses? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find a place to teach for the fall. So I'm working on that right now. And it's just dealing with different bureaucracies and stuff. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm going to have a course in September and October try to have that for people who need the credits. Mm -hmm. I know we're still credit driven. Um, and I might do another course in August, depending on how people want to do that. But um, I've, yeah, so I've got the two courses, the neurocentric approach, which is a two day where I do the, it's a lot of the physiology of pain in both of them, but it's applied from two different ends. So one is a passive day where we do like nerve slides and glides and tensors and uh, that seems more active to the to the RMT but it's actually a passive treatment and then I do one around simple contact which looks like a passive treatment but it's actually the patient's active but you're treating the exact same tissue and it's doing the same thing and one is way more patient centric and one is way more therapist centric but it's just having those both of skills together and then I have the DNM course, which is um, like dermal neuromodulation. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're changing nerves through, it's kind of like nerve mobs, but very specific in the periphery. Mm -hmm. And that's the, the method or the, the um, hypothesis behind it. So, yeah. So what, what, is there a website people can go to? So, so you'd go to my website to, to find those courses under yeah. continuing education. It's uh, mm -hmm. wellenabled.ca. Wellenabled.ca? Yeah. All right. We'll send everyone your way. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this chat. You can head over to www.peoplepainandpractice.com for the show notes and future episodes. If you found the conversation valuable, please give it a share and I'll see you next time.